0: Joining us this week for this special episode on Bros and Birdies is one of the most recognizable names in the world of golf, a former player who created a leading sports management company. It is Chubby Chandler. Hello, Chubby. How are you doing, boys? Yeah, I am. Hey, Chubby. Good, welcome Good to aboard. have you on Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Yeah, now, nice, nice, nice well, to talk to you. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's great. And, um, People don't know, but I did give you a really rough tip um, York Racing today, so I really apologise about that. But we'll be better tips <laughs> in the future, right? <laughs> well, um, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm actually going to York tomorrow, so promise you don't ring me. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. A lot of people say that to me, Chubby.
0: But there you go. Hey, before we get into some hot topics of the moment, our listeners are extremely keen to hear frank opinions from you, from a man that's pretty much seen it all in the world of golf. Now. What made Chubby Chandler the professional golfer that played on tour, several Opens, one in Brazil, and obviously had the talent, and then to think, I'm going to set up an international sports management company. How did that all come about?
1: Um, It was pretty simple, really. I I was 36, and I was not improving as fast as everybody else. So if you don't improve at golf, you go backwards. Even even the top players. And I was I I you know, I was improving, but I wasn't improving as all these young kids that had dietitians and coaches and this, that, and the other. And I'd done I'd done a bit of corporate work for a friend of mine in South Africa uh, a couple of years a couple of years before, a guy called Mike Parker, who worked for ICI. And he was very senior and I was doing some golf days and I signed up John Bland for him so that he had somebody down in South Africa. Rest his soul. He's just died. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely man. And, um, and I did that and I traveled with Carl Mason, Nick Job, uh, Michael King mainly. And I, I ended up doing a bit of travel for us and booking higher cars and hotels. And, it was only when talking to people like you in the last sort of like 30 years, did I realize that that was me starting my company, but you know, sort of finding the the expertise to do what I was doing. Cause I love trying to get a deal. Mm. And I used to, I mean, for the, for the standard of golfer I was, I, I, I played okay. And if I'd have had, if I'd have had me managing me, I would have been very good, but I had no, no real guidance. and, I uh, I figured that because I wasn't improving, I would wanted to do so. I, I had to think of something else, and I got this pal with ICI, and he wanted to sponsor me when he got sent back to ICI colours in Manchester, and he, he called me and he said, "I want to do what we did in South Africa. Well, I want to do it in Europe now." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm sort of like I'm running I'm running my, my golf down." I said, but what I'll do is I said, I'll find two guys for you to sponsor and, and I'll manage the programme. And that's what we did. You know, I found, I think it was Phil Harrison and um, Carl Mason who wore an ICI logo. Derek Cooper came along after Phil Harrison, I think, and they invited, it was ICI Colours, and they invited a lot of Japanese filmmakers you know, Fuji and Nikon and all those people were all the guests. So they were madly into golf and we used to go to the golf tournament and run a golf day the day after the golf tournament finished. And in those days we finished Saturday. So it was pretty easy, you know, you could do Sunday golf. Yeah, but we perfect. used to do we did the we did the Scottish Open, which finished Saturday because of the open qualifying. And Carl Mason actually won the tournament and we went out for dinner with all the clients that night and he got a standing ovation in this restaurant from about 20 little Japanese guys. And it was great because, you know, they they were so keen and so into it that you you really sort of quite enjoyed it. And they all wanted, I mean, I don't know whether you've been around Japanese, but they all want photographs. I mean, they just, you know, they, they were photographed mad before we even had uh, cameras on our phones. And, uh, we, you know, I ran this, this program for them and at the same time set up the company and then started signing guys I played with. So I set the company up in a September 89 and by middle of the year and maybe July next, the year after, I was managing 15 guys that I'd, I'd played with, which in a funny sort of way didn't count because I I wasn't doing an awful lot for him, hmm. but it, it got me going. It got me started. And the money from the ICI deal was enough to sponsor the golfers, a little fee for me, and some expenses. And then one August, I have a pal, August 1990, I have a pal in Dublin, a lawyer called Dougie Heather, and he was a good player, a scratch golfer, rung me up and he said, there's a young guy over here that wants to speak to somebody like you about whether he should turn pro or not. And the Walker Cup was at Port Marnock in 1991. So it was a big decision for an Irish lad to to sort of judge whether he should play, turn pro and play now, or wait a year and play the Walker Cup. And he said, come over and see him on Monday. He said, by then, he'll have led the qualifiers in the Irish Amateur and he'll have won the Irish Amateur. And sure enough, he did. And I went and met this blonde-tinted-haired kid who walked in in August with a Boss cashmere overcoat on and his name was Darren Clark. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, my word. And uh, we chatted for, an, for about an hour about whether he should turn pro now or wait a year. And I just gave him honest answers and I said, well, you know, in my opinion, and it's certainly true then, it's probably not far off true now. But, you know, Walker Cup didn't make an awful lot of difference to your professional career. Mm. And I just said, there's one thing for sure, that you'll be a better player in a year's time if you turn pro now, rather than wait. So we, we sort of got through a few things and then he said, right, I just want to play golf. Can you do everything else? well, I didn't have to think very long to not say no. And I said, yeah, I can do everything else. Now, I didn't realize he actually meant everything else. And he, <laughs> he really did mean everything else. And then we went on to talk and he said, well, you know, what we're going to do about a contract, bearing in mind we're in a lawyer's office. So it was pretty easy if we wanted to do a contract. And, of course, <laughs> our, big, ma- big Mouth with me said, well, Mark McCormack and Arnold Palmer never had a contract. They just shook hands and got in it. Right, right, right. That's what we'll do, right? So that's how we we never had a contract. We've never had a piece of paper between us. And about two years further on, I changed my banking because I'd started my company with a 10 grand overdraft from NatWest. (laughs) NatWest NatWest Small Businesses. And um, it was, you know, I was just a bit underfunded, so I got... I changed banks and they, they needed players' contracts. And I said, well, I'm my best player I have got a contract with. And then I said, mind you, I've got power of attorney for him. So if you want a contract where my signature's on both sides, you can have one. And they said, oh, no, that that's ridiculous. No, we're fine with that. And we got on with it. And we, ne- we never had a contract. Never, ever had a contract. Absolutely between amazing. I, I think I've and, seen and he, it. And, Go on, it was it was a bit it was a big deal then, but hmm. as 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 the company sort of grew and we got went on, and all the other management companies found out we didn't have any contracts. Then they all started trying to poach the players. Yeah, uh... and you know it, we 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 were a really easy target. And in the end, we had to have contracts.
2: I think you have and seen we a to have con- From you saying that, we so had to have most talents. Yeah, because of that approach. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's one, of, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, would I change it? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, there's very little I would change about what's happened for 45 years, 50 mm. years. But um, it was as soon. And I played with Darren then a week after a place called Mere, Mere Golf and Country Club where my offices were. And I played with him a week later because I never played with him. And as soon as I played with him, I thought, I've got a business here. This kid's going to be. Very, very good. Yeah, I probably didn't realise quite how good, but you know, it, I knew, I knew he was going to be well above average, and um, and that was it. And then from that Ryder Cup, that Walker Cup, we got about three other players from the Walker Cup team, and I went to watch the um, Walker Cup with the lawyer and Darren. Right, so we went to watch the Walker Cup. He should have played in and as Darren would do it, we've had a few pints of Guinness at lunchtime on the first day, and then we're watching the golf, and somebody topped it. it might have been Mickelson. Or somebody topped it anyway, <laughs> and he turned around to me, and he says, Chubby, you're right. They look like a bunch of fucking amateurs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, they're, they're, they're very strange young lads when they turn pro, because he... When he turned pro, he was absolutely dying to get a logo shirt on him, even if it didn't. Have, if even if it wasn't a sponsor of his, he just wanted logos on. And uh, he grew out of that pretty quick. And then he sort of wanted three hundred grand for shirts to wear. But you know, it's it is, <laughs> it is interesting to see so many lads turn pro, and then sort of try and get them through that first five years, ten years, or whatever. And and the easiest of them was Rory. Rory was the easiest of them because Rory, I knew exactly the date he was going to turn pro, about six months before he did it, because he was so good, you knew what was going to happen. And we were promoting the British Masters. I think it was the uh, Daily Telegraph British Masters at um, the Belfry. And that was going to be his first event. And I knew we were going to sort of like have a press conference on the Tuesday of that event to say, this is Rory McIlroy and he's turning pro. And, you know, I I'd, I'd got everything ready. You know, he, he got a corporate sponsor, he got tight list as a sponsor, he got this, he got a car. Everything was ready because I knew I had such a lead into it.
0: Well, we're going to talk about Rory in a little bit, Chubby, but I know Graham um, wanted to follow up and ask you something about Brazil. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well,
2: I'll tell yeah. you what, I was absolutely fascinated, Chubby, by the fact... I mean, obviously, your your one world win in terms of... I think it was 1985 in Sao Paulo. I I had two wins. I had two wins.
1: Right, Okay. Sao Paulo was was my first and my last.
2: (laughs) Excellent, excellent. One on the course. One on the course. But what what interested me the most about that and, and having experienced the loss of our father last year as we did, is yeah, th- there was a big quote about you, and terms. So I think it was about three months before the event, you'd lost your father and stuff. And and there, there's quotes that I've seen from you, and some things like don't fear failure and, and stuff like that. And you've kind of, you, I think, I read in dispatches that you carried the positive thoughts from that loss in terms of the battle into that event, and, and how you came to that event was an extraordinary. Um, story in its own right, in terms of being invited as part of one of four players.
1: Yeah, in all expensive... A I called John Jacobs, who yeah. was not the not the British English teacher, golf teacher. The he was an American uh, Vietnam War veteran. He actually won the U.S. Seniors Open, uh, probably about ni- early nineties, and he he was well in down in Brazil, and he they they asked him to try and get four four European tour players uh, to go. And our deal was um, a business class air ticket return and all, all the hotels paid for, for two weeks and $1,500 guarantee. Well, that was a fortune to us then. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we went down there and you're all excited. And the, the four of us were Malcolm McKenzie, Simon Bishop, and Paul Thomas and myself. And, we went down there and we I got there and you know what it's like everywhere around the world somebody pops up don't they and this guy this guy uh, pops up and he's he's telling me he's from Bolton <laughs> and he's lived down there for eight years and the economy was all over the place. There was a thousand percent inflation in a month. Work that out crazy and so we changing your money was unbelievably important. You know, if you change your money at the beginning of the week, you got half as much as you did if you changed it at the end of the week. And he he said, I'll do all that for you and I'll guide you with restaurants and this, that, and the other. And he spoke Portuguese with a broad Bolton accent. <laughs> so so he, he he sort of he'd say, Obrigado. You know, which is thank you, obviously Portuguese, but it was it was with a thick bold accent, (laughs) and we were uh, we played during the week, and it was such a a sort of friendly setup. There were a load of Americans, there were a few American tour players, and John Jacobs got three three other mates of his, and we played a team match in the tournament. We played our scores against four Americans and um, we won about two and a half grand each in this bloody bet. And it was, you you know, you just would never do it anymore. You know, at the end of the day, we sit down and have a beer and, and and you got 71 and you got 68. Anyway, we won three days out of four and won, won all the cash nearly. And I, uh, I finished birdie Eagle birdie to win the tournament. Wow. Hey yeah. yeah, I finished birdie, eagle, birdie And on the 16th, I got about a 20-footer for birdie And I, I hold it And this this pal, Tony Thomas from Bolton Ran on the green and said You're tied for the lead, lad You're tied for the lead They said, no, you can't run on the green like that Get off, you know And then went down 17-8 Four iron to about five foot Hold it for eagle and then I had about a 12-footer for Birdie up the last. And the greens were very grainy. And when you got grainy greens, you sort of send it out on the grain and then the grass takes it back towards the hole. And I almost got to the hole before the ball did. <laughs> and I'm waiting it to drop in and it dropped in. And in the end, I won by two. And they had a, they had a brilliant local custom where all the scores on the scoreboard were hand-painted on... A slat And they moved the slats around As to where you were lying in the tournament And then The slat for the winner obviously goes on the top And you, they, they got me To put my own slat on the top of the leaderboard It's really cool I've never seen it anywhere oh, No I've never heard of it and, and put it on the top And then <clears throat> I had to do some portuguese, some tele- Brazilian TV As Brazil would be It was a gorgeous girl got to interview me, but she couldn't speak English. So pal Tony says, don't worry, don't worry, I'll interpret, I'll interpret. <laughs> yeah. So this girl rabbits on in Portuguese and asks me this, and I said, and she said, he then says, right, she said, what does it feel like to have broken Samson's re- course record and win your first golf tournament? And I said, it was absolutely fantastic, it was a dream come true, da 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 and then he looked straight in the camera and said, "He said it was fantastic, all in English. <laughs> he, he, repeated, he repeated what I said, word for word.
2: Oh, that's amazing!
1: It, it was like, cut, 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 cut. Let's let's start again. <laughs> but, but I mean, it was you can you can get the sort of picture. It was a bit like the Wild West. And the, the story about my dad was, my dad had died in." Uh, june of that year and this was october Mm. and for some reason i went for the usual trip to the toilet before you go out and play in a tournament and whatever i'm sat on the toilet and all i can think is that my dad's looking down on me and i'm thinking this is my day i think yeah this is my day and as the luck would have it later in life i obviously speak to a lot of golf psychologists and I told myself all day over every shot that day that it's going to be my day. So every time I got over a drive, this is, going to, this is my day. This is my day. And what, what that actually does is put your net brain in neutral because you can't actually say, this is my day, don't hit it out of bounds. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Because <laughs> that, that's the normal, isn't it? The normal train of thought when you're going wrong is you manage to let negative thoughts go in. And I just, I had this absolutely neutral. This is my day, and and I've never had the feeling again since. You know that 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 was my one day where my dad sort of guided me around. Well, amazing,
2: and, Chubby. You fifteen thousand dollars, I think you picked up for that tournament. Yeah, did on top yeah. of the winnings that you made from your team bet, as well yeah. as having <laughs> an all-expensive paid holiday. yes yeah. what a week
1: in Brazil. Well. Yeah, well, it was two weeks because the way they paid for it was that we had to go down to Rio. That was a shame, wasn't it? We had to go down to Rio (laughs) and we had to play in a pro-am and that's what we got $1,500 for. So that's how they did it. And we got $1,500. And when we went down there, we found out $1,500 prize money was third in the tournament. Mm. So there there wasn't an awful lot of uh, motivation to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Exactly>.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> well in Brazil I can imagine And we and we we parted, And uh, it was just a great time And the great thing The great thing about the whole thing was I went back four more times after that So I went back in 1986,
2: 87, 86 88 and
1: 89 And you blew your $15,000 as, as a past champion No they kept paying for me It was oh, great Brilliant <laughs> It was so, great And uh, I played with I, I think it was the last time I went there I was paired with John Jacobs on the last day, and he used to have a drink, you know, on, on and off the course. And he turned up, and he'd have lots the night before, and he looked at me, he says, I'm so drunk, I'm hitting an eight-iron. It was a part of four, eight-iron off the first <laughs> tee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. What right. a story.
0: Absolutely superb. it, it Chubby, um, Yeah, l- we could listen to loads of stories but we've got so questions have come in from socials and stuff like that but one of the topics that you talked about in 2017 to John Hogan was all about slow play now when you spoke to John um when he was at Golf Digest I believe there are a few points I want to bring back to your attention that hold a great deal of relevance right now so it is a huge problem and we've had loads of talk about it Jay Monaghan's been talking about how it doesn't really matter it's all about the tv Nothing's wrong with slow play. It's all okay. But didn't you try – I don't know if you tried and succeeded, but you were trying to come up with a new format where, you know, where par was friend
1: The speed yeah, up we, play. Yeah, we we never got it past, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, to get any of the golf hierarchy to change anything, you needed $3 billion of Saudi money to be able to change anything <laughs> and, 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 and nobody, nobody would entertain anything any different. And the problem with golf is that in a funny sort of way, they've not moved with the times, have they? Because the powers that be haven't looked after the game very well, because when they allowed metal drivers, they let the game get out of hand when they did, you know, when they let the ball go, Further and further, they let the game go out of hand, and and I was playing at the weekend, and I was I said to a friend of mine, I said, Have you noticed all every rule change that's ever been made while I can remember it has made the game easier. Mm-hmm. They've never made the game harder. And uh, to me, the the free drop from your ankle or your knee or whatever it is mm-hmm. is the most b- absurd thing I've ever seen because it's almost placing it into. It?
0: Oh, of course it is, yeah. It's not replicating the ball and, falling out of the sky in any shape or form.
1: No, and and I just think that if you think about all the rule changes, every single one of them has made the game easier. And nobody ever mentions that. You know, when everybody says, well, the scoring is getting out of control and, and it's distance, it's this, that and the other. It's actually the powers that be haven't controlled the game. I mean, the, you know, to make it, easier all the time that you know the the drops the this i'll tell you what i've got i've got the I'm, I'm not a very good chipper anymore and i regularly double hit it well there's no penalty for that i've actually i actually can double hit it quite well now <laughs> <But>
2: that, <laughs> that
1: that that should be a penalty making
0: the game easier. and so, so how big how come it's getting slower you know how do we how do, how does well, well, that get it's the
1: same thing? It's exactly the same thing, though. They've, the powers that be have never kept a grip on it. And when when they penalised a fourteen-year-old kid in the Masters from China, mm-hmm. that was the end of it. I mean, when when they pick on somebody like that, and they've got the top players, they they pull the excuse crab movement or this that and the other. All they had to do was implement all the rules properly. And they wouldn't have the same problem. The rules are there. They just allow everybody to break them. Yeah, I guess you reap what you sow and that's where they are in
2: terms yeah. of the authorities. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Absolutely yeah. does.
1: You know, it's. I, I, I think it's sad that they've let the game get easier like that. You know, when 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 I, mind you, if they did it now, everybody would drop it into the hood of the hoodie, wouldn't they? When it was over your shoulder. And carry it to the hole, yeah. That's... I've, just, I've just been watching the golf. I can't believe how many hoodies are on the golf course in the USPJ. Oh,
2: because they're oh. all bloody cold. That's why. It's a man
1: up. It's not cold. It's because they want to look trendy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all these well, youngsters. Well, ca- well, as, we, as we're talking here, Cam Smith started well. John Rahm started well. Uh, Ryan Fox, he's two under. The leader currently, yeah. Japanese... Um, Higa Kazuki, same, or Kazuki Higa. He's three under. Keegan Bradley, three under, three, four. Anyway, right, Bray, what have you got next for Chubb? Right, bro, over to you. What have you got for us? Yeah, I just, Chubby, I just want to circle back
2: on what I think is an absolute interesting story with regards to Darren Clark. And you, you mentioned him earlier on. But I think you've been quoted in the past as saying there's been good and bad days, but not many average ones with Darren. Just try and maybe help us and the listeners understand. Maybe an example of the good and the bad. Obviously, that the open win or well, Saint George's for sure. Um, that must be a good one. But like, are there any funny stories in terms of good and bad with you and Darren?
1: With Darren, there were there were some really great times, obviously, and there were some really desperate times. And you know, you can guess which are both. Mm. And um, you know, we, we we had one where when he got in the Ryder Cup in '97. And got in very easily. I, I think he was number two on the qualifying list, and Lee was number one. And they were in six six weeks before the qualifying finish. You know, they were they were definitely there. And then, when they were playing in practice and sort of going about what they do, it became fairly apparent that Darrell wasn't going to play the first morning. And then it became more apparent that he wasn't going to play the first afternoon. And he was he was seething. I mean, absolutely seething. And Seve Sevy wasn't a good communicator. You know what I mean? He didn't he didn't want to f- face up to telling Darren he was not playing particularly. He, Darren just found out from Sky, I think, and um, he wanted to go home. Wow. He wanted to go home, and I'm I'm walking up the fairway. I can remember the. I don't know whether it's the second or the eleventh now because they changed, switched the nines around a bit, but it's the par five that goes across the top, and he's going up there, and he's a hundred yards ahead of the other three players, and he's chunning away at me, saying, "I'm going to go home. I'm not having this. I'm second in the qualifying. I'm a good player, and I'm not playing. I'm going home." And and you know, you sort of just calm down, and and he was raging, and and in the end, it it, it worked out all right because he he played and he won. He won his game and I got him a I got him a deal. He got a bonus if he won if he had a hundred percent record in the Ryder Cup. He got a bonus of a Ferrari. And wow. it played played right into his hands that he um only played two matches and he'd won the first. So he actually played his singles to win a Ferrari in the Ryder Cup. Which what an incentive! <laughs> bizarre. well, you don't need a, an incentive to win your singles in the Ryder Cup. But uh, that was that was a that was a very tricky situation for a while, and there were two or three in the team that were a bit like that. Was he had a problem with Seve? And you know, I mean, Seve was great, but he he was he was his he was one of a kind. And uh, and then obviously Darren, when he won the Open, was was amazing. That was, that was just an amazing feeling for everybody. And, and obviously when Heather passed away in 2006, that was the under other end of the scale. And Darren had carried that around with him for about three years. Mm. And now and again, the phone, you know, you get a phone call and then you'd wander over under a tree and you just wonder what was going on. You know, he was, he was getting a prognosis and finding out what the treatment was. And he was trying to play golf at the same time. And, you know, he, he had a bit of a lull round then and no wonder. Yeah. And she passed away the day before his birthday. His birthday's August the 14th and she passed away on the 13th. And about two weeks later, I got a call from Ian Woosnam, who was captain of the Ryder Cup in 2006. And he said, I'm thinking of picking Darren. What do you think? And I said, it'll be absolutely fine. I said, you've been living with this for, for two or three years. I said he'll play on emotion, and so will everybody else. And I was at that Ryder Cup, and on the first tee, there were twenty thousand people there, and there were nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine in tears, and the only one that wasn't was Darren. Wow! Limey, Darren, Darren was just in a in a in a world of his own. He hit three yeah. wood nine nine to about ten feet, made three, and off he went.
0: <laughs> what a man!
1: But, what but, a, a the power of the man. Yeah, it was it was a ama- it was an amazing time. Um, that was as emotional as anything I've ever seen or felt. Absolutely. No, that's brilliant. What a insight. hell of a story. Yeah, thank you,
0: Chubby. Well
1: when, going when, from when, go, when, it, when, he, when he won the open at St George's, one of my little jobs when they win in a tournament is actually making a few notes for him to free speech. And I said, Are you gonna you're going to be all right with this speech because Alison was there and Heather had obviously passed away and he said, no, no, Chubb, I've got this covered and there's only me can cover it and he he made this unbelievable speech where he said, and you all know somebody up there is looking down on me and it was was a lovely way of recognising Heather without belittling Alison yeah, who's on the edge of the green with me. And now and again, he was brilliant at that. And, you know, nobody will know the work he put in when he was Ryder Cup captain, at learning how to speak properly and rehearsing speeches and going into the BBC Northern Ireland studios for hours on end with a guy called Stephen Watson practising his speech for the Ryder Cup.
2: Superb. What <laughs> It almost feels like a, a privilege to have been in that relationship with him, the way that you talk
1: about him. every Everything I did for 30 years was a privilege because yeah. to be as close to everything as I was was just amazing. And in 1992, I got invited to the, the Masters by Ronan Rafferty, which was bizarre because we weren't particularly great friends. But I think we were in a courtesy car somewhere and he, and he obviously had a chance to give a couple of guest badges away and he said do you want to go and I said no with respect to you thank you very much but I'd rather wait until one of my guys gets there so I went to the Masters in 1997 with Lee first guy I'd ever had at the Masters and when we got there we were on the lawn on the Tuesday and we got he had a Scotch John, John Graham was his caddy, and we were sitting around one of the tables having a bit of lunch. And we got the menu, signed it, and said, "You'd like it here. Wish you were here." Blah blah blah, and sent it to Darren. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then Darren got in the year after,
2: Super and they both got stars. in the Ryder,
1: They both got. They both got in the Ryder Cup together in '97. I've been to one Ryder Cup with a player in '91 because I was looking after Paul Broadhurst. And I was at that one at Kiowa Island when it all kicked off. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, to go to the one with the two of them. And then, like I say, you know, you, you end up so close to not just them, you know, the other guys as well. Matt Wallace, Rory, Charles Swartz, Louis Days, And you, you're very close to them. And, you know, one of my best memories was at the Open at 2010. I took my son Tom and he, he I think he was about 15, 14, or 15. And we had a twin room in the old course hotel. And we did, you know, we were working all week and whatever. But we were stood on the steps behind that 18th green, all the steps just at the back and the side. We were stood on there and, and our client was coming up the last seven ahead. I mean, just amazing. <laughs> just what, amazing. What a
2: feeling. What a feeling. Absolutely yeah.
1: amazing. Well, that's yeah.
0: a good se- a good segue in here is we want to keep that Northern Irish link. And I know, bro, you want to mention something about a man who's currently out on course at Oak Hill. He's two over through eight holes. It is Rory McIlroy, bro. Rory McIlroy.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms – he's obviously one of the most talked about men in world golf right now for obvious reasons, um, you know, being the – essentially, you know, dare I say it, the mouthpiece for the, the PGA Tour. Um but, you know, obviously you talked earlier on about the, the reference to Rory and stuff, but what was that that whole experience around being in Rory world from someone so young? And like you said, you
1: know, yeah, I, knew, make... I, knew him from, I knew him from 13. He was Darren used to have a, a, a foundation where we invited all the age group juniors winners from Round Island to a, weekend thing at Port Marnock with Darren coaching him and playing with them and whatever. And Rory appeared on that when he was 13. It might've been the first one. It might've been the second one. It might've been the first one. And he was, he was about four foot tall and he was cocky as hell. And he could flat out play and was a real cheeky chappy. You know what I mean? He was, he had bags of self-confidence already. And, uh, from then on, we had a relationship with him. And I remember when he was about 16. He, um, so, so Rory, yeah. Rory, Rory, Jerry, Rory's dad, when he was 16, was getting stressed out like you can't believe because he had 95 colleges calling him. All wanted Rory to sign for the colleges. And we decided that Rory was actually too good to go to college because in those days, he went to college. If you were too good, you you, you tailed off. You became like everybody else. Now it's different because the colleges are nearly part of the PGA tour, so you, you you get there's a pathway through the college to the tour. Mm. But then you know you you risk sort of flattening out your, your your improvement. So I said, you know, sort of, why don't you just tell tell all the guys you're talking to that Rory's going to turn pro after the Walker Cup and he's going to sign with ISM. And he said, yeah, I'll do that, and that's what he did, and. Uh, that's why when he turned pro, it was an easy job because I knew what was going on from way out. And Rory actually bought a house before he before he turned pro. Yeah,
2: six hundred thousand
1: at the age of seventeen, I believe. And that's right, because he knew he was getting uh, he got some deals coming, and he said, "Can I buy a house?" And I thought, "How sensible is that? You know, to <laughs> to stick your cash in some house straight away." So, yeah. And then, then he, was, he was he was ridiculously precocious. Yeah. You know, he was a, his first tournament. He finished uh, thirty second at the Belfry, and then he played it. I got him an invite to the Dunhill Links, and he uh, he played with a racehorse trainer called Mike Decock, a friend of mine, and South I was,
0: African fella.
1: Yeah, and I was playing with Lee, and we played together for three days, and he got his card in front of me. He he finished third. He hit it out of bounds on the 14th in the last round that looked to his cost at him. And then he made a couple of birdies and a couple of bogeyed He finished third and got enough for his card.
2: Blimey, crikey. I mean, just sticking on the Rory theme again, ultimately, have, have your opinions kind of changed over the years, you know, for better or for worse in terms of, obviously you had that relationship with Rory for quite a while. And he's gone on to do what he's done in the game, amazing things. And obviously had a a real difficult couple of months, I think, in terms of world golf and the the role that he's in, obviously being that mouthpiece for the PGA Tour. But have your opinions changed on him?
1: No, no, he's a lovely guy. Yeah. He's a lovely guy. And and I don't know whether you saw his press conference on Tuesday. I did, yeah. But he was trying to be something different and he looked more uncomfortable trying to be different than he was when he was putting his foot in it. <laughs> it was, it was I, I felt uncomfortable for him. You know when he was answering yes and no, and, you know, short answers. Yeah, you could see he wanted doing to. That. You could yeah. see he
0: wanted to expand, but he just yeah.
1: couldn't. He was he was trying to do something different. I think Tiger probably had a word with him um, to try and sort of like number one get out of the press conference a bit quicker because he talked so much that his press conferences always go on long because he he elaborates on all the answers. But also, he gets sucked into talking about live and talking Mm -hmm. about this. And and I I became a bit close to him in COVID because I managed to travel to America quite often during COVID because I had an elite athlete's exemption form. So when everybody was stuck here, I was actually going to America and getting out of it. And America was fairly normal. In fact, Florida was really normal. And I got, I got sort of chatting to Rory quite a lot during that time because there's nobody else about. And uh, we, we used to have a chuckle. And I said, why is everybody worried about you? I said, as far as I can see, you've got a great wife, you've got a lovely family, mum and dad are happy, and you've got a shitload of money. Why is everybody worried about you? And, you know, it, at the end of the day, the, the media build up the fact he hasn't won a major. But he's won four. It's not the be-all and end-all. He do not win another major. If he doesn't win another major, he's still had a great career. Well, he yeah. said that
0: recently himself, didn't he? And But a lot yeah. of people are turning and, around saying there's this mental block about the Grand Slam. Is Do you think he has yeah. that mental well, block?
1: Well, I think probably there is, because I think, you know, he should have won the Masters when Charles Fortswell won it. And he came yeah. back in 42 or 44 or whatever it was. But But the thing is, you know, sort of, why is it everybody's right to say he's disappointing because he hasn't won the Grand Slam? You know, it's like he's had a great career. hes They're all out there to make a living and he's made a very good living, believe me. And uh, you know, I feel a bit sorry for him sometimes that he's got so much outside influence which in actual fact he brings on himself a bit because like you say, he is the mouthpiece for the PGA Tour.
2: Hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a shame. i i i know craig you you haven't you know i mean you, you've had sort of your say about rory over the certainly the last few months of doing the podcast but you know i just want to see him getting back to playing that quality golf and you know he's not had an average season really in in all, in all honesty it it's been pretty good i think there's just the distractions of everything going on whether it be live yeah. Doing what I, think, I doing. think the
1: last I think the last six weeks he's struggled.
2: Yeah, for sure. And
1: and I think that the, the one thing about Rory when he's playing good, he looks like the Pied Piper, doesn't he? He's like he, he flows <laughs> so much <laughs> and he's got just a strut the strut. It, yeah, he's got a strut, and he, he just hits the ball amazingly well and hits a lot of iron shots close and whatever. And he just he, you know a flowing Rory McIlroy is actually probably the best sight on a golf course. You know, probably bad non, and um, he's just not had that flow. He's just not, just not flowing. He's got too many things going on. But he'll, he's all right. He's he's still young. He's got oh, ten yeah. years of winning majors still to go. Well, Definitely. he's you know
0: he, he's on this tough course at Oak Hill today. He's currently for his first nine holes of the PGA Championship. He's three over, and we, we all want Rory to be because he is. He is one of the greatest golfers of all time. We want him to be playing. We want him to be happy. We want him to play his best golf. And enjoying the game because that, like you said, that strut and that float across the fairways is what we all want to see. But you mentioned something just a minute ago about you're there to make money. You're there to, you know, put some dollars or pounds in your pocket or euros even nowadays. And live is a subject, obviously. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Right. But you've been quoted as saying someone had to come along and mix it up. A change from Thursday to Sunday, 72 holes. And I could easily question money and where it all comes from. In your opinion, right, there's a two-part question here, Chubby. One of them is from um, someone on socials. So I'll get to that in a minute. But in your opinion, where is Live in its quest to find its place? And can you see a time in the near future the conversations between tours has
1: to happen? Or has that ship sailed? Well, first of all, let's get it straight. It's 11 months since the first Live event. Hmm. I think they've made unbelievable progress. Whether, whether I agree with everything or not, mm-hmm. they've done an amazing job to get where they've got to. And a lot of that's down to the fact that Greg's got thick skin and amazing drive. So, you know, they needed somebody that could take all the flack and to sort of talk to players and whatever. I think probably now he's not as needed I think you know he's perhaps done his job. And I've I heard today, and I don't I think it's out there in the public domain, but I don't know where, that Amanda Staveley might be getting involved to try and broker a deal. Cool. She's had Newcastle, now she wants to go back to golf. But but it makes us makes sense. She would make sense, wouldn't she? She's she's au okay fait with the Arab world. She's all okay fait with a lot of cash and she's He's fairly neutral as far as both sides go. So that might be quite interesting. Because at some stage, and I wish Pete, Keith Pelly had done it. Because Liv should have been part of the European Tour, or the European Tour should have been part of Lyft. And oh, Thanks for saying that, Chubby. I tell you what, it's music to my ears. And I think, you know, sort of what happened was, I believe that Keith was overruled by his board. He wanted to do a deal. And his board said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to stick with the Americans. Now, the deal he's done with the Americans, whether it looks good or bad, it's actually guaranteed the future of the European tour. So in a way, it's very good. But I wish I wish he'd have sat down with them. And funnily enough, the right person, the the right sort of person to head up live is actually a Keith Bellick that's got a bit of razzmatazz and understands media and whatever. But I think that, they, they will end up sitting down. They will end up sorting it out. And at, at the end of the day, PJ Tour finishes in the middle of August now. So that you've got four and a half months at the end of the year that could be live all the way through.
0: Mm, absolutely. I don't, yeah, see,
1: I, don't actually, I don't quite see what all the problems are.
0: Well, can we can we keep it on live? And this is a question from a guy on Twitter, U Wedge. She is at U Wedge, who resides in Richmond, Virginia, US of A. He's asking you questions because hey bros, I would love to hear Chubby's thoughts on Livs team aspect specifically how he as a manager as all that experience would maximize revenue for a team and what opportunities would he explore to build on that team be it branding sponsorship <laughs> players etc
1: You know what's great I read that question before so I've had to think about it <laughs> Oh uh, good. <laughs> but, good But it's it is I think I think one of the things that's failing live at the moment is that they cannot get the team aspect of it over to the public, particularly. Mm. It still looks too much of an individual competition. I think that if I'd have been involved, which I've never been involved, but I would have had a team of a captain like they've got, Cam Smith, Bubba, Brooks, all those people. Then I'd have a top player, in with them, then I'd have a top lady and then I'd have a champions tour player. Because you're not telling me that Ernie Ellis or Darren Clark in a team wouldn't add to it. Oh, sure. And then yeah. then it would look then it would look different to the PJ Tour. At the moment it looks like the PJ Tour. It's just three rounds and not the PJ Tour. But if they'd have had that with the mix up with the lady and the champion Champions Tour player and whatever, it doesn't look like anything because it would be brand new. And then people might understand the team comp- com- competition. But I think that what they're doing, I think, is, is building up the value in the teams before then they become franchises. So well, I think could, it go, no, could it go
0: the way as Formula One then? Do
1: you reckon, Joey? No, no, it won't go Formula One. It's, if, if you turn the telly on now on Sky Sports 404, golf on the cricket pitch is there now. The IPL is exactly what um the lift thing's going to be like so you're going to have 10 team owners 12 team owners what is it 12 team owners and th- these team owners will have you know they'll be team Adidas, they'll be team samsung they'll be you know what i mean they'll be mm. there will be big corporations
0: team porsche that- now they're
1: going to leave the dp world tour yeah well whatever anything's possible isn't it that that the, 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 the they, but they've got to build the value in those teams before they sell them because at the moment they wouldn't be able to sell them for more than, I don't know, maybe $5 million. Maybe in two years' time they can sell them for $500 million, and that's what they're doing. And because one of the advantages they've got that's always well documented is they've got so much money that they can afford to sit back and let it grow. And they have some great ideas. I mean, the, the hospitality is off the charts good. Right, is it? I went to Centurion last year. The hospitality is like a five-star restaurant. I mean, well, just I went, I went
0: there. I went there, but didn't get to go in the hospitality. <laughs> Perhaps this year, Chubby. Now we're we're all close. I reckon <laughs> you could get us in just open the back door. <laughs> they need they
1: need waiters, guys.
2: Yes, get <laughs> us in. We'll do it, we'll do it. <laughs> uh,
1: but it's it is and and. You know, that w- one of the ideas they have is to, you know, each team will have a team bus and they'll have a club fitter in there. They'll have a little gym in there, they, you know, and then and then the sponsors will be able to go and hit balls on the range when the golfers have gone out and things like that. You know, they, they're, they're well ahead of the game. They're well ahead of the game. Well, that's interesting. I enjoy it for, you know, for what it
0: is. Obviously, they've got Valderrama on their schedule now, a great golf course, Um and obviously, Centurion, I enjoyed it last year. Looking forward to going back yeah. this year. But, right, any follow-up?
1: Valderama, Valderrama, what, what a nice golf trip that is. You go for a week, you play two or three rounds of golf roundabout, and then you join in their party. I mean, what a fantastic week <laughs> that <laughs> Exactly <be>. right, yeah. <laughs> hey, that <laughs> sounds great. Graham, book it, book
0: it up now. Yeah, have you, you got any always- follow-up questions, Grae? Yes, I do. We, we have been having it. I just want to stick on the lid thing.
2: One final question. In terms of, I mean, I think what you just... Said there makes absolute sense in terms of the go forward, but currently, in terms of obviously that the PGA Tour doing what they're doing, you know, finding all of that cash, putting it into the purses. Would you say that the current live deals that they're not beneficial to the players that are not contracted to live? And maybe, are they a little bit blind? I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. So I'm just saying, are the live deals really beneficial to the players that are not contracted? Because we, we know, having talked to a number of people, as we have done, that there are only certain members of the 48 Team Strong or however many players that are contracted. Okay? That are guaranteed... Yeah. The money from Liv and that there are those that are not, right? Now, yeah. those that are not that have made that move from the PJ Tour or the DP World Tour, whatever you want to call it, do you think maybe they've been a bit blindsided now that the PJ tour have found all this cash?
1: Well, no, I don't because I mean I, I don't I don't sort of follow it that closely, but Hmm. I'm sure Richard Bland's made a lot more money playing live than he would have done the European Tour. Yeah. As, as would some of the other guys. So I think, I, and I understand what you're saying, but I think that even, even the guys that have come in as a reserve, people like Larry Cantor and people like that, they will have made more money doing what they've done than they would have done playing. Now, a PGA Tour player is different. They play obviously for a lot more money And the PJ Tour players If they get in the top 50 And get in these designated tournaments Then it's Christmas isn't it You know they're playing for $20 million And and at the end of the day Phil Mickelson was right When he first started saying The PJ Tour are not paying us well Because of this And they're keeping the rights. He did right Because suddenly they found $160 million from nowhere Exactly
2: Yeah exactly
1: So I- you know he, he, There's a lot of There's a lot of stuff going on And Jay Monaghan is unfortunately an American and they are very insular and they don't see a bigger picture. And, you know, for, for him to advise his players and never having sat down with Liv, to me, is just amazing. Astounding, yeah. You've got, you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to sat down with them and then say, no, this isn't for us and go and tell the players. But you can't tell the players it's not for you if you don't know what they're offering. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, listen. I want to
2: circle back. Blandy made it very clear. Not circling back again, are you? I'm sorry. Yeah. Listen. I'm doing my American thing. You know, I'm not going to circle back. I'm going to. Blandy said, right? He just wanted to play live, couple of years, make his money, go off into the sunset. That that's a very different outlook for someone like, let's say, a Burn Wiesberger or a Laurie Cantor, for example. Because we now know that to for the players that have got the fines and the suspensions that they don't have to pay those fines if they resign their dp world tour or pga tour membership they only have to play pay them if they want to rejoin the tours now that that is you know not breaking news yeah, but it probably makes but, common but sense
1: correct me if i'm wrong but if they re they can't rejoin the tours because they're banned
2: well, they're banned, but they could reapply to rejoin the tour, at which point the fines would have to be paid. So that is the the stick that the tours have over yeah. them. You know? yeah. So, But it's very different. And that's the point I'm making. Blandy's story is very different to a younger player who's made that move. And I'm thinking that maybe it's the some of the younger players maybe got a bit blindsided because, and you validated that, is they didn't know what the offer was. Yeah, because PJ Tour have mysteriously come up with all this money from yeah. that they didn't have. So yeah. I, I think you know, but that... I
1: I don't think it's those guys. I think somebody like Cam Smith probably has sold himself short mm. because they didn't know they were going to play for twenty million dollars on the PJ Tour. I don't know. I mean he'll have got a big fat sum of money to, to join, oh, for sure. but he also he also would have made a big fat sum of money if he'd stayed with the PJ Tour now because they're playing for twenty million every week or thirteen weeks a year as it is. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I think it works both ways and a friend of mine Pete Uline, that I managed for I don't know 6 7 years 8 years he I taught, saw him the week before the first one and he was at uh, Slaley Hall playing in the Asian series mm. and I and I was surprised that he he jumped to live because of his dad and his dad's a traditionalist with tight and he said well I didn't really have any I never thought twice about it he said they gave me a very small guarantee. I mean, not not five million even. They gave him a small guarantee. But he said, I'm going to play for 20 million every week, 14 times a year. I've got a guarantee that I can play for, I think it was two two years, maybe three, I don't know. But it wasn't his guarantee. It was the fact that he was playing for the money. And also, he said, I've bounced, I've bounced between the Corn Ferry Tour and the PJ Tour for six years. Yeah. And I've got a young family. And this way, I know I'm going to make money. And he made $11 million last year in prize money.
2: What so, a goal so, for 12.8 to be precise. But yeah, right. he, he's, maybe he's
0: made a lot of money. Maybe I didn't count his team money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chubby. So, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned talk about Jay Monaghan and Insula and, and and what doesn't sit down and talk. The DP World Tour, What you know, you've been around the European Tour for such a long time. And, and obviously the money that came in from DP World and then the alleged 40% shareholding in the European Tour productions and what have you and Jay Monahan on the board. You said DP World Tour, it's been guaranteed. The European Tour has been guaranteed thanks to the money from the PGA Tour. But do you think it's it's gone, it's improved? It's gone in the right direction under Keith Pelley and this strategic alliance, which we know nothing about?
1: Um, I think that circumstances have dictated a lot. So <clears throat> the members wanted a pathway to the PGA Tour. They've got it. So the 10 best players that aren't on the PGA Tour get a card. Hmm. Now, everybody's turned that around and said, you're giving your 10 best players away. But that's what they wanted. They wanted this pathway. And I think also golf is evolving very quickly at the moment. And I haven't really been around last year or this year. And I don't know half the players already. So it's, it's it evolves very quickly. And you don't what you don't notice is the people that have dropped away, but you do notice that you don't know many of the people that are there at the moment. I mean, you know, the top three or four last week, I'm not sure I knew I knew any of them. The guy that won I didn't know.
0: Ostrom, yeah. And Jens Dentorp.
1: Yeah, I know Dan Tough because I followed the challenge tour. He'd been on the challenge tour a long time. But but you know, it's it's just one of those things. You can't they can't have everything, can they? They can't have a, a sustainable future and not give up something. Because the PGA Tour aren't gonna give them fifty-two million a year or whatever it is, and not have some sort of a grip on it.
0: But how would you as a as a manager, if you were still heavily involved with it now, seeing that those like the best players are going. And with that, seemingly, you know, Porsche, the tournaments, like let's look at two tournaments in Germany that you know, the Porsche and the International are being played at the same time. These designated events are being played, so therefore, none of the top, I think, you know, I think non-top fifty players will be playing in those tournaments, like they weren't in, in Rome, and or Maronk
1: was, but um, yeah, but but. but... But, uh, but at the end of the day, they wouldn't be playing in them anyway because they weren't not going to go and play for three million dollars when they can play for more somewhere else. Well, that's my point.
0: So when the sponsors are all pulling out, and we can say that it's it's, it's saving the European t- Tour. But that's
1: where the fifty-two million comes in. That's what that's what's propping it up is the money from the PGA Tour. But that doesn't last forever, though, does it? Well, it's going to last for a long time. I think they signed a five-year deal, maybe more. But what happens – so what do you
0: reckon is going to come out of the Scottish Open um, chat when Pelly's going to explain the strategic alliance and what's going to be changing? Uh, Are are we looking at something along the lines of a co-sanctioned event such as Wentworth? Um, Have you heard
1: anything? Is is the Scottish Open not co-sanctioned anyway? That is, yeah, but he was going to announce – he he was going to announce
0: something regarding the the future – of the strategic well, alliance
1: I'm sure that after the PGA Tour finishes There'll be some co-sanctioned events In the rest of the world One of them probably will be Wentworth Because Wentworth to me is a very very good tournament and, Oh it's and fantastic Seven or eight years ago I used to say to him Why aren't you trying to get some of the Americans to come and play it They're exempt Why don't you offer them a air ticket in a hotel And Billy Horschel came didn't he And a couple of others came but, you know, Patrick if, Reed used to come and play, didn't he? Yeah, well, Patrick Reed plays everywhere. I mean, he's he has got a bit of spirit. He'll go anywhere. And he and he, and he was playing places for no appearance money. He wasn't playing because he was getting paid to play, he was playing for nothing. So, so linking up the DP World Tour with the. You must have had so many talks um, around the official world golf rankings. The European Tour took their eye off what was going on. And, and again, agreed to an American proposal because the American players were kicking up the fuss that the t- points were easy in Europe, which they were, and people used to manipulate their ranking by playing the Kenyan Open. And if you won the Kenyan Open, you got 24 points. And people did manipulate it, but that's what kept the European Tour going. And suddenly then they, they get this this sort of system where every every field is actually... Rated on the, the actual rating and there's no guarantees and everything's half as big, if not less. Well, I knew that was happening. I knew that was happening three, four years ago. Not, It's not a sudden thing. They passed that, I don't know, three years ago, probably. And how do, how does it get past that if you know it's going to damage the tour? Well, partly because partly because all the votes, it, the, the voting system on the official world ranking is... Augusta, USPGA, um, USGA, PGA Tour, and then the European Tour get a vote, and then all the other tours together get one vote. So every time that anything happens, they're outvoted. And that, that those meetings always happened at Augusta. My dear friend Selwyn Nathan, who was the commissioner of the South African Tour, the Sunshine Tour, used to come back and he said, we're getting, we're getting blown away here. And there was nothing they could do about it because the Americans just had. And at the end of the day, it's, it's like the golden rules, isn't it? The Americans have the gold and they rule. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. But we perhaps, like you said before, if the DP World Tour had gone in with Liv, then they might have been able to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, no, that would, been, that would have been amazing, I think. Because I right. think you could, you could have had... You could have had eight live events after the PJ Tour had finished all over the world. So, Adelaide, that was such a success. And when they say they're growing the game, the PJ Tour have never been to Adelaide, have they? So, they, they, they've done a bit there. They've taken a the high class field to a place that has never had one. And no, it was, that, it was that, great. That should have been all under the auspices of the European Tour, in my, in my view, anyway. Uh, b- very insightful, absolutely insightful.
2: And, uh, you know, uh, I guess for, for many an emotive topic as well, isn't it? I mean, you know, we've shared our own views on that. So it's it's really good yeah. for someone that's managed the stars of the game and stuff to kind of, you know, share that opinion and what's happened there's, behind there's the scenes. There's no right
1: and wrong, though, is there? It's, it's one mm. of those where if, if if the balls had come down a different way, it would have been a different solution. and But they haven't. And like I say, Greg... Greg is abrasive enough to force through what he's forced through. But but don't forget it's only been going eleven months. Yeah. Chubby, I've got
2: one final question for you before Craig has one particular point he wants to raise. And and we've heard you talk really well about obviously Rory McElroy, Darren Clark, and I'm sure you've had loads of stories in, in your twenty-four years and time with Lee Westwood, which we haven't got into. But we've also got a connection to a real good Strong couple of players from the northwest of England. One of them in particular, a guy called Matty Dodberry, who's at East Tennessee State University in his first year, having a great first season. And another young lad called Spencer Davis, who plays out of Wallasey and Royal Liverpool, 15 year old. So we've spoken to them on the podcast, we've watched them play and stuff like that. But what advice would you give to lads like that starting out their career, having managed loads of talent over the years?
1: I think I I, I I still play with a few young lads and, you know, they they contact me, they ring me up and ask me my opinion on things. And there's a trend. They're all getting better technically. Mm. They're all getting stronger and they all forget how to score. <laughs> so, so now the emphasis is on hitting it, hitting it far, practicing. Trackman's a great thing, but it, it actually doesn't help you sometimes because you start worrying about your ball speed. Even I worry about my ball speed on a track man. How, how pathetic's that? And you know the young kids do that, but at the end of the day it's actually that bottom right hand square that matters. What they are writing in there. And I What's think a lot of lads a lot of lads now forget learning how to score. And I I, I tell young guys, I say Because the other thing that none of them do is know how to flight it. They just hit one trajectory all day long, partly because of the clubs, partly because of the ball. But not to be able to hit a knockdown shot, to me, is not right. And I, I tell them, you know, when you go out and play a few holes, take half a set of clubs. You'll learn to hit a soft seven iron. You'll learn to hit a hard five iron. Don't take them all out. But they must learn how to score. They must learn how to compete and learn how to score.
2: Excellent, excellent that advice. Is, that Super. is great advice. That is great I know advice. And those young lads out there are listening to that because it is invaluable well, advice. Like I to
1: say, I think, I think the short set of clubs is a great way to learn. Great way to learn. Yeah, definitely. We'll, do you know
0: what? We'd love to if you if you agree to it. We'd love to get you back on one day because we want to talk. We want to talk youth golf and and how it's sort of not flailing if you like in this country but the way Scandinavia are improving youth golf and their approach to it sort of making it more trendy and not you know stuffy and they can play on the weekends in the morning at clubs whereas they can't on many clubs over in the UK but if you would come on that would be fantastic because we'll have a few other people and we can bounce off each other um one question I wanted to ask you and this was another one sent in by a direct message from Quite a big account on social media flushing it. And he wants to get into oh, right. he's a he's a live man, isn't he? Well, no, he's he's everything flushing it really, but he's he doesn't see any problem with live. Like like us, you know, golf is golf, but he has got an issue the way the PGA are controlling, a bit of monopolization and what have you. So and obviously at the moment it's all focused on live, but he did want to get into um releases like DP World Tour releases with you wanted to ask you about them because there's been a lot of talk and who was released who wasn't released how did you go about
1: it with your players to get them released and how easy was it we we got a release every time we asked for it we played the game now and again they asked us to play in a different tournament because it was a weak field so we did that but we we never got turned down for a release and I don't know whether you you were playing golf then, but in 2012, I think it was, I ran a or we ran a an eight man match play event in Turkey, and it was a big money event. It was guaranteed 300 grand to play in it, and I got Tiger playing. He got a bit more than that, um, <laughs> and 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 I wedged it because we we organised it sort of late. We wedged it into in between the tours. So we went against, we, we played Tuesday to Friday. So we finished on the Friday night, Friday afternoon. And we, we went to, uh, we went in the middle of the fries.com tournament in the States. And we went in the middle of the Portuguese Open in, in Europe. And anybody that played in it, our tournament, had to play in their tournament on their tour once in the next three years. So the Fries.com suddenly got six extra players that would never have played the Fries.com because they played somewhere else. And Portuguese Open, I think Portuguese Open, we 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 paid disappearance money to Martin Keimer. <laughs> Martin Keimer, <laughs> was, he, he was going to play in our event, but we paid him to play in Portugal so that we didn't get in trouble. And it's... It, it, you, you could work it out. you know it was you had to do it a month before I had a PA that was right on it and a month be- the day before a month before she'd write off for all the releases. And you had to get a release in America as well. You had to get a release in America to play. if you remember the PJ tour, you had to get a release in America to play in Europe. and you had to get what was called a TV release. I don't know why they called it a TV release, but you had to get a TV release. But we never had a problem with it because we always did it in time and we played the game both ways.
0: Do you know what? It's it's one of those it's one of those questions and obviously we know why it was asked because of current situations and um, we've got Bernd Weisberger going to come on soon on the podcast. He's got a lot to say. There's one last thing I want to ask you, Chubby, and be frank as
1: you like. Ian, it. Is this the first of the last questions? This is the last.
0: This is the the last last of the the last last. one. Yeah.
1: So, um, but I'm enjoying it. I'm sort of gone.
0: (laughs) Hey. Well, we can carry on the conversation when um, we see you down at Wentworth in hospitality or Centurion. Hey. If let's say Keith Pelly was voted out tomorrow for argument's sake, all hypothetical, I know, right? Let's say Keith Pelly was voted out by its members uh, tomorrow. Who is in? the mould of Keith Pelley or someone in control that could take over the European tour, DP world tour and take it forward. Who is out there? Who would be
1: your man? Um, I don't know. I'm probably not even qualified to think about that because like I say, I'm a bit out of the loop now and in 18 months or 15 months or whatever it is, people change. You know, I I actually wouldn't know who the right person is because I think at the moment it's a thankless job, and I don't think he's going anywhere either. No, no, no. I think I think he's doing all right, and but I can't I can't think off the top of my head who who, who you would suggest. I don't I don't know. Would I would it be who. a
0: senior player? Would be a player on the senior tour and um, the likes? I know
1: Paddy's still it's, playing, and it's it's not a player. It's it's a businessman. Yeah, a business it's got to it's got it's, to be a businessman. It's a PR man. It's a media guy. Um, and he's somebody that can stand up to everybody. And, and like I say, that's not a dig at Keith because I don't think he had anything. COVID, don't forget, crushed the European tour. America, America could carry on quite comfortably because they're playing it all in one country. We, we, we were trying to accede to about thirty different countries' legislation. <clears throat> there were guys that couldn't go home for six months. You know, it was a, mm. it was an absolutely brutal time for him. And to get through it was amazing. To actually oh, get it through hats, it yeah, hats off to them to that. I think they handled it yeah, extremely, well. Extremely and, well. And, that, and that cost them a lot of money because you know they were putting the prize funds in. The European Tour were putting the prize funds in until this year.
0: But you're we're happy. In. So if you had if you had you you'd be happy now with the current situation, the way that the European Tour is being backed up by the PGA tour, if you well, had players
1: on there. Yeah, I mean Fortunately for me It doesn't make any difference no. But But I know One or two of the guys And they're reasonably happy That they've got a future Because <clears throat> I think They know They wouldn't have had a future Without the help From the PJ Tour And those
0: retainers Help I guess You know That gives them A bit of security Yeah
1: Well that was brand new Wasn't it No absolutely Because I, I know I know when I played I couldn't understand How I could invest A thousand quid a week And have no certainty Of making any money at all
2: Yeah Big risk.
1: Not many jobs like that. Well, it's those
0: grafters like like David Drysdale and his wife traveling the world, and now they're on the Asian tour and international series and stuff like that. Grafters like that. It must have been so hard not to have any guaranteed money, basically gambling. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They've had a
1: great time. Oh, no, they have. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they haven't got a great time, they'd have a butcher's or a grocer's shop or something. (laughs) <laughs> they're travelling the world together, and, and now and again, he makes 25 grand. They're having a great time.
0: Oh, no, I tell, don't that's, ever, that's what don't I was saying. Don't ever
1: think a professional golfer's having a bad time. They'll tell you they <laughs> have, but they're not, because they're playing a game for a living. And that
0: takes it back in words of Big Bro circling back and finishing it on the fact that pros do have a good time, and you certainly did in Brazil. And do you know what, Chubby? I ser- it has been—I, I, uh,
1: I, ser- I certainly did for thirty-three years,
0: well more. And do you know what? It's, just, it's been a joy to just hear snippets of those years. And please come back on again, like for the youth golf discussion. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and we appreciate your time. You know, you want to go and watch the football, and you've got to do the form for York races tomorrow. If you have got any well, tips, I'm gonna, I'm not send them listen. my way.
1: I'm not going to listen to you guys. <laughs> Uh, and and I'm I'm doing a book as well, so we'll see. How are you? <laughs> that's, that's gonna fill my time in a bit. <laughs> hey, good. Look hey, forward mate. to that.
0: Chubby, thanks again. Really appreciate uh, your time. Pleasure. Thanks, yeah, mate. You mate. take Thank care. Thank you very much.
1: Bye bye.